The following Taisho by Shinge Roshi, Roko Sheri Shayat, was recorded at the Zen Center of Syracuse Hoenji in Syracuse, New York. These recordings are offered for free. We welcome your financial support. To contribute and for further information, please visit www.zencenterofsyracuse.org. Thank you. Good morning. What a beautiful morning just before the storm. So it was my intention to fly from Syracuse to Florida tomorrow. But as some of you know, Mercury is retrograde. And because of the storm, no planes will be flying. So, what to do? Well, maybe I'll just go over to the airport and see what I can do today. These are interesting challenges that come to us, whether we are interested in astrology or not, whether we have some sense of a system that may or may not impact upon our lives or not, still always being faced by challenges to what we've decided we want to do, right? Why do you come here? What made you first come, for some of you who are old-timers? When I say here, I mean to Buddhist practice. Do you remember? Or those of you who are here just first time or recently, why? There's no right answer, by the way. Yes? I had a series of dreams that told me there was something else. I was pretty satisfied with everything, but it was very ordinary. Ordinary reality. I was satisfied with that. But then these dreams came, and I finally figured them out. So the only thing I could figure out to do was maybe to start meditating. How would I do that? I came here. So the dreams, there was something in your dreams that made you feel there was something more to be discovered. Is that right? Yes, Jane Hirschfield called it, oh, the house dream. I had it over and over. So I guess it's a famous... (laughs) (laughs) So your house dream brought you home. Mm. Send you, you had your hand up. For me, it it goes all the way back to childhood, an experience that I had. I was about 12, and experiencing a lot of emotional pain, depression, and I was laying on my bed, and at this time, Christianity was very strong, and I was told that if I prayed, that Christ would enter my heart to wipe it clean. So you were lying on your bed, yeah, and you were feeling miserable, Quite. and started to pray. To pray, and it was like, in that moment, everything just stopped. And I remember the room even felt like it got brighter. 
and I could see other dust mode. And my heart, it was like what I read, and I thought it was all true. It was like a clean slate. I experienced just such acceptance at that point that it put me on this road. So your feeling of everything <laughs> cleared away, yeah. all the misery, all the self-preoccupation dropped away. And this brightness, this brightness where every dust mote shining somehow turned your life toward this path. Through Christianity. Yes, that's, uh, I began my whole sojourn through the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. So, of course, these divisions into uh, religious traditions are arbitrarily made by people who don't know what to do unless they have some name for it, but it is unnameable. And we can start out from wherever the feeling of that returning home, as Chikyo felt, to feeling this brightness, this, all right, everything is okay. This really um, transcendent feeling that you're not trapped by the misery in which you found yourself. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Why did you come today? Two of you are here. I don't think you both have the same answer, so one of you. Well, I mean, as far as why we came today, we both really like to start our weeks out this way. Just um, We've intended to come many times in the past, and we just don't wake up in time. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> right, you've stayed in your dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really nice way to start the week. So today, somehow, you awakened. Barely. That's wonderful. All right. So this feeling of wanting to wake up is so important. This is really the crucial thing, you know, what Buddha taught. Coming from that awakening was that everything is a dream. Life is a dream. All the things we get caught up in that make us miserable are a dream. They're nightmares the nightmares of our lives. We have to wake up, see things as they truly are, bright, shining. And at a fundamental level, there is an ease that happens, a feeling of ease when you are no longer caught, right, in that bubble of misery. Anyone else? I think I realized I was an athlete for many years, but I needed a practice to work with my mind. You know, I'd work with my body. Mm. My mind was completely untrained and mm-hmm. wild. So sometimes coming through Christianity, sometimes coming through physical discipline and the realization that the body may be in tune, and yet there's something else going on. Of course, body and mind cannot be separated, right? Right. So perhaps the better 
quote-unquote, you got as an athlete, the more you became aware mm-hmm. of the, um, the challenge mm-hmm. of this mind that was so caught. And causing a lot of suffering. That's it. I want to get back to that point. Um, but Joe Raku, you wrote something that I read um, just the other day that I thought was so pertinent to this discussion. And I wonder if you, even though it will come out and, you know, everyone can read it, if you want to add something along those lines. Well, what I wrote was something about an experience that I had where I realized uh, I was happy to be sad. And um, I think that's a a big part of of what makes this practice work for me. That I started as a Christian, as a Catholic, and it suddenly didn't work for me. I just didn't, like, I loved it, but I didn't believe in all that stuff. They had to believe it. So I needed a practice that, you know, a spiritual practice that was really deep and important to me. Um, But without all that stuff, you had to believe. And um, what what brought me here, and what I think the biggest biggest parts that came out of me, I realized that happy to be said is basically my name. Right, Joraku, Samadhi Joy, to be happy, to be sad. Mm-hmm. Because being sad is being, when you, if this is the part where I don't know how to talk about it, but um, you know, we, we start with that suffering, but what to do with it, and that's um, where it is, things are the way they are, there's got rid of that heaviness of sadness, but that recent experience of being happy to be sad. So you really got beyond the dualism. Uh, And the dualism is all constructed around the idea of a separate self. We identify with our emotions as emotions that are there to protect this self, this this uh, feeling we have that we are discrete, that <clears throat> discrete meaning separate, um, that we have to make sure that nothing threatens what we have come to see as this identity. And the clearest way we can say who we are seems to revolve around what we feel, Right? At any one moment. And so we can uh, really make this sadness into a whole narrative. I'm sad because this happened to me. I'm sad because I don't have such and such. When we identify with the emotions, what tends to happen is we become even more embarrassed that we're not better than we are, more embarrassed that we aren't capable of doing what we think we should be doing, and cling to that embarrassment, cling to that feeling of failure, 
it's as though all the things that we were told early on were not good enough. We'll never make the grade. Everybody else is doing so well. What's wrong with us? All the comparisons, all the negativity of our training as humans. Maybe some of you never got trained that way. I don't know. <laughs> you, please tell me if, if you had nothing but the most supportive parents and teachers and all the people you ever met were always telling you, you're just fine, just perfect. You are a little Buddha. So we try with our children, but, you know, they still have to go to school or whatever. Anyway, you get the point. It's something that's conditioned that we've all grown up with. Most of us, maybe as I say, there may be a few people here. Please raise your hand if you had no difficult circumstances as a youngster. Yeah? (laughs) Then we're also fortunate to have had these um, difficult circumstances. You know, without them, as several of you have said, without them, we would not get to the point where we can be happy to be sad. Happy to be sad is a way of saying equanimity. It's a way of saying my sadness does not define me. My illness does not define me. My lack of ability to do what I think I should be able to do doesn't define me. All of these things are passing through, just as we are, passing through. So, of course, on a relative level, we're here and we have to make sure that this uh, temporary body is taken care of. We have to feed it, for one thing. Keep it warm in the winter. All kinds of things we have to do, of course. But It's so easy to get sucked into thinking that that is the main reason for being. That we are the most important ones. And therefore, there's a lot of conflict, since some people may not agree. (laughs) You may have encountered someone in your life who didn't agree that you were the most important one. So you mentioned suffering, and uh, this, of course, the Buddha taught the first noble truth. There is suffering. He didn't say life is suffering. He said there is suffering. Very importantly, he taught us to look at the ways in which we come to this experience of suffering. Why is there this sense of being put upon, feeling that you're not one with the moment you're in, feeling that it should be otherwise, feeling that your life is somehow not not measuring up to what you had hoped it would be, 
feeling that you are not at ease, but rather always trying to catch up, trying to make things different so that they match your internal sense of how things should be. And we're always assaulted by one thing or another. It may just be simple and easy, like a storm coming in from the Midwest, and we have to figure out, okay, what do we have? Do something. Of course, pay attention. But at the same time, that's the relative plane. At the same time, from a fundamental point of view, storms come and go. Our ideas about what we need to do and who we need to be come and go. And it's so helpful to take the long view, especially when something more major happens, like uh, life-threatening illness. And we want to do everything possible to restore health. And we care so deeply about those who are suffering, extending Kanzeon, the chanting that we did earlier, to bring all the good positive energy we can to the person who is having such a difficult time. And of course, we know death comes to us all. And then what? Again, being clear about this fundamental level of reality is so essential. We come here to experience this, to experience the oneness of absolute and relative. It's the most essential thing. This is why Master Rinzai says, just have true insight, and that is all. Now, to say to have true insight, what is that? Insight into what? Many times people think, oh, he's just talking about, you know, waking up to have this wisdom, but what about compassion? And many times people talk about compassion, and in their minds they have a concept of what compassion would look like. What is your concept of what compassion looks like? A warm, fuzzy hug? When we have this dualistic attitude toward wisdom and compassion, we get into a lot of trouble. Because, again, it's based on our own personal concepts. These concepts swirl around because there is no true insight. There is no true compassion. And one cannot exist without the other. Insight into what? Well, we can look at what Shakyamuni Buddha realized when he awakened 
what he taught. Fundamental teaching. Self-nature is no nature. We just chanted that, right? Fundamentally, shunyata, empty of any permanent, separated identity. Nothing can be held. It's a dream. Wake up. Impermanence. A teaching of impermanence. Right now. Can you hold it? To be in this moment, to be truly present in this moment, without your mind wandering off, what should I do next? What did happen yesterday that's going to have such an important effect on me? Blah, blah, blah. It all swirls around me, right? Me. What if you see me as empty? Then what? Then are you facing the abyss with nothing to hold on to? Scary, huh? Or are you free? Every projection of me effectively cancels out this present mind, right? This now that can't be held. What you're thinking right now is taking you away from this moment. The problem about giving a talk is that I engage you in conceptual thinking. Just by using words, I take you away from just this. Just saying just this, already gone. Might as well have some tea. The moment we get stuck in thinking about anything from this separated, self-directed approach, then we cannot understand what we chanted earlier in Bodhisattva's vow. When I, a student of Dharma, look at the real form of the universe, all is the never-failing manifestation of the mysterious truth of Tathagata in any event, in any moment, and in any place. None can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light. This is just a flowery way of saying what Master Rinzai said. All you need is true insight. What happens if you have this true insight? None can be other than the marvelous revelation of its glorious light lying in pain in a hospital bed. We say, "Uh uh-uh, nope, that's not it. Nope, sorry, that's not my glorious light. Immediately setting up these dualities of sad and happy, good and bad, life and death. But it goes on. This realization, this insight into the real form of the universe, this Buddha's awakening that we all can have, are here to experience, yes? That's why we're here, to experience 
waking up. What happens when we wake up? You may remember, this realization made our ancestral teachers and virtuous and masters extend tender care with a worshiping heart. What is that? Compassion. We can't help it. Very different from conceptualizing about compassion. Oh, you poor dear, let me help you. This is a concept of compassion. No separation. Extending tender care with a worshiping heart. Every being you encounter. You can't help it. So we're here to experience this oneness of being, this glorious light revealing, revealing, revealing dust motes at the age of 12, right here, right now, in all the difficulties that we are presently experiencing, all the disappointments, all the annoyances, the irritations, they too are never-failing manifestations. And so this practice that we're doing is a way of, as the Heart Sutra puts it, writing our, writing, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, writing our upside-down views. Every moment. Every moment. Come back to what's going on inside you and ask yourself, Am I getting caught up in my own special nightmare? Do I love my nightmare so much that I don't want to change? The whole thing is already changed. But no, this is my nightmare. Nobody's going to take this away from me. I'm my nightmare. Good luck. New one's coming. So this is what we're doing, okay, over and over, looking at what is going on, seeing the ways in which we're identifying as separate selves that have some permanence and solidity and importance. We have no importance. We're just here to realize our interconnectedness, the realization of all beings are suffering. How can we possibly live without extending tender care and a worshiping heart? Hmm? This is what we're here for. It's called practice. You may not immediately feel this way all the time, 100%, okay? That's what we're here for, over and over and over, deepening, becoming more joyous as we become sadder and sadder, happier and happier. Cannot 
pull them apart. Life and death cannot pull them apart. Sickness and health cannot pull them apart. So thank you for being here. <laughs>